What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flop Guy podcast. I'm Andy Mokel, and I'll be your host. Our goal is to have epic conversations with people from all walks of life. There are no talking points that are off the table. It's going to get wild. We hope our guests inspire and motivate you to walk with purpose as we trudge the road of human existence. Enjoy the show. Hey, guys, just a little quick reminder here. Um, we are doing a raffle, a Arizona deer hunt raffle. Um, it's uh, $40 per entry, and it's a 1 in 100 chance to win. Uh, so really good odds, and that's a fully uh, outfitted hunt uh, here in Arizona, either during the archery season or if you have a, uh, if you're the winner and you have a uh, rifle tag, we will guide you on that rifle tag if you'd like. Um, so really cool. So go to johnstallone.me, click on the um, raffle section, and you'll see there's two raffles there, uh, one for the deer hunt and one for coyote hunt. The coyote hunt is uh, is closed for this season already. We've already picked our winners. And um, so get in on those tickets. Uh, it's a good deal. And uh, it benefits the Arizona Mule Deer Organization. Hi, welcome to Interviews with the Hunting Masters, brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags. This is Andy, and today I'll be your host on with John Stallone. John, how you doing today, man? Good, man. It's a little strange to hear that being said by somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely uh, interesting and a trip to be on the other end of it, that's for sure. Yeah, no, it's cool, though. Um, yeah, I just, you know, the, these, uh, a lot of times we, we get these questions that come across for, for the podcast and it's like, they're, they're directed at me and it's kind of hard to interview yourself. <laughs> I can relate but, to that. It's like, uh, yeah, I did, I did a, a solo podcast for the first time, um, like two weeks ago. For, How'd that end up turning out? Uh, you know what? It's. It's getting a lot of playtime, so it must be pretty good. People must be sharing it and stuff because it's it made the top ten uh, download list. So, um, oh wow, yeah, it was basically uh, what I do for you know how I do my layering and like what kind of camo I wear, and I don't ever really do those type of gear podcasts. Yeah, because I never want to sound like I'm selling something, you know. Yeah, so, like. The last, you know, I, I went so many years of being uh, a, a sponsor cheerleader, I'll say. Mm-hmm. And I don't don't get me wrong, I was oh, I always promoted companies that I believed in, so it never felt like I was I wasn't like a sneak oil, oil salesman or anything. But um, you know, you go you go so long of promoting and going hard like i just i wanted to get away from that for so long that's kind of why i don't really have many sponsors or really i only have the one sponsor for um for the podcast is because i don't i don't like the commercialism anymore i don't like the you know this industry has been become so much about product promotion yeah look at me look what i'm wearing product placement you know it's like and i get it because you know, I've been on both ends of the spectrum. I've been in the manufacturing side, and um, and so on and so forth. So, 
I get it, but unfortunately, too many people in the industry have um, have ruined it because they promoted whatever they can get for free or whatever you know, whatever sponsor came their way, and it just selling made, gear at discounted rates. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's just like, um, and you didn't really know who to trust. Like back in the day. You know, if you saw a professional guy using a certain product, you had a sense of, oh, well, that that product's good because I know so-and-so uses it. Because this person believes in it. Right, exactly. And I got away from that for a long time, especially like from like 2014 to about 2017. It was really, really rampant. Like everybody was a pro staff of this and that. Well, and pro staff can get confused so easily from professional to promotional. Right. And what it actually is, is promotional staff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I started back in the day, it, it, it meant it professional. Meant it meant both. You know, we yeah. took on guys that had resumes to do that kind of stuff. Anyway. And TV shows. I mean, I know that we're going on a little bit of a rant for the opening of the podcast right now, but yeah. I, I, totally hear what you're saying, you know, and yeah. something that you started out by saying was, you know, you are definitely only using products that you believe in and that work for you. Exactly. And that's so important, you know, cause there's not much brand loyalty. There's not much loyalty. Now it's all about, Oh, well this person's going to give me free gear. So I'm going to jump ship and go over here and use this now this year. Exactly. I, and I, I, I could have jumped, jump ship so many times with, I mean, even bow companies back in the day, like, you know, not that I'm, uh, not that I'm still not, uh, like, but I, there was a, a, a time where I had hit a stride where I was very marketable to, uh, you know, manufacturers and I could have easily tripled my sponsorship and uh, put myself in a much better sp- position if I would have jumped ship, you know, and financially in a better position financially. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But you know, I don't know. I mean, it, it have to be an obscene amount of money and I'd have to not be, uh, um, you know, giving up anything as far as performance wise to do that, you know, like mm-hmm. there's not enough money in the world. That's going to, well, I shouldn't say not enough money. <laughs> There's not enough money that, that I've been offered uh, to make me want to go from like one bow company to the next or whatever, like, you know. To sacrifice what works. Yeah, exactly. Because I have a certain amount of confidence in what I do, what I use. So, and that's, and that was important to me. So, anyhow, um, I'll get off my high horse. But, anyways, <laughs> that's why I don't do a lot of those type of, of podcasts anyway. But, uh, yeah, it went over pretty well. It was, uh, but, you know, um, it, it's not something you could definitely, you can't do it about a lot of the subjects that you can't do that style with a lot of the subjects that have been thrown my way that I, uh, you know, that I want to address, but I just haven't been able to address cause I don't, you know, like I said, don't like uh, podcasting by myself. And yeah, uh, I just so. did my first podcast by myself. I released it last week and it's extremely awkward and uncomfortable talking to yourself and trying to explain things, hoping that the listener will understand to the point that you're making. 
Right, right. It's not so bad, I think, if you have like a list of questions that were sent you and you read off the question and then you give your answer. Mm-hmm. But it's not always that linear. It's not always that like easy to do. So, but um, yeah, I get it. Um, oh, by the way, so those who are listening, uh, Andy's podcast is uh, Legion DIY. Yeah. So good. It's a good podcast. Um, I listen to it, especially if you hunt in California. Yeah. It's definitely, definitely California driven. Yeah, we'll we'll get into Cal we'll get into California hunting probably around the end of this. But recently, you've been doing a lot of preseason training. You've really been getting into it. I've seen a lot of the videos that you've posted on your Instagram page, um, as well as your YouTube page. And uh, I kind of wanted to talk to you, and and you also wanted to talk about, you know, kind of what does preseason training look like for you, and and what are you doing? What are your methods that you're practicing instead of just walking out the back door? taking a couple standing shots and then going back inside. All right. I hit my bullseye. I'm good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I see that way too often. Um, just a kind of a quick story to, to preempt what we're going to talk about. I had a, a buddy of mine. I, I will leave nameless. Um, that was just a phenomenal target shooter. I mean, this guy can freaking hit a tic tac at, you know, 80 yards. And, um, and then every time I put an animal in front of him, he'd fucking fall apart. Mm-hmm. And I always told him, I said, it's all because of what you're doing in the preseason. I mean, you got to be able to mimic those situations. I mean, you're every, when you're shooting target, it's the same thing repetitive over and over. And that does, I mean, even your stance is not going to be the same when you're hunting. You're not going to, you're not standing on flat ground. You're not, <laughs> you don't have the perfect archer's tee. You don't have, you know, and I've been, I mean, I've been preaching this for 20 some odd years now. Uh, I mean, I have some videos on YouTube that are from 10 years ago that, uh, you know, some of my training stuff. <laughs> Uh, matter of fact, one of the ones that's on there, it says uh, it's called uh, shooting on the pressure. And one of the things that I developed over the years um, is doing things to mimic uh, a pressured situation, you know, because when you got a deer in front of you or elk in front of you, whatever, you're, you know, you're amped up. Things are moving faster than they, you know, they normally are, and and so um, that video I actually did it in Illinois eleven years ago. I didn't release it on YouTube till like nine or ten years ago, but and uh, I was whitetail hunting, and all these guys were there, and they're like looking at me like, "What the fuck is this guy doing?" <laughs> I was running, I was doing sprints because they had a target set up in the back in the middle of the day. Um, I was doing sprints. And, and so one of the things that I, I call it run shoots, basically what I do is I, I set my bow uh, and my, and my arrows at uh, 50 yards, which is my middle pin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I would do is I would, I'd run to the bag. I'd touch the bag or the target and run back to my bow, pick it up, knock an arrow and, and shoot an arrow as fast as I can. And, um, you know, I do, I basically do that for 
six to 10 arrows, depending on how many arrows I set there. And then I would, from then I, uh, I would change it up to like, um, doing 20 crunches and then getting on my knees and shooting, uh, doing, you know, 15, 20 pushups and, and getting sitting, uh, sitting down and then, and shooting and doing, you know, repeating again, going, you know, 12. And then, um, you know, so I was, I did this in there in Illinois. All these guys were looking at me like I was freaking crazy. But um, those are the things that that I do. Like, just I'm always thinking outside the box. What what can I do to kind of make um, make myself acclimate to what I'm going to be faced with in the field? Yeah. Um, well. And how many times have you been in the field and you're coming up a draw or you're coming up a hillside and you have to stop because a buck just jumped up or, you know, a javelina just jumped up in your case. Cause I know that you guys have javelina down there or uh-huh. something jumps up in front of you and you're half winded. You're not ready for the shot. You know, your, your footing is way less than optimal and you have to improvise and somehow create a shot and hold your bow steady out of being winded and right. Basically unprepared. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I approach my whole. And so preseason to me is from the time that hunting season stops to the time that the hunting season <laughs> starts again. So I, I never really have an off season. It's not like I just don't, I don't start doing this like, five minutes before season, you know, um, I'm going to, I'm going to take you from the beginning. All right. So every year I get a new bow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been since 2001, every year I get a new bow. So every year I got to recite in a new bow and so on and so forth. Uh, so my, the first like two months of me shooting is I'm shooting at a small dot. Uh, like the size of a quarter to a 50 cent piece, the largest. And that's my sighting in process. I sight the bow in with that. Um, every single pin, I have seven pin sight. Um, as I move back further, once I get past 50 yards, I change that quarter size to the 50 cent piece size. Mm-hmm. And then... And, and that's how I sign my bow in. And I, and I shoot that way for about two months, sometimes three, depending on, you know, how comfortable I'm getting. And this is just me shooting your traditional standing in front of the bag. Uh, I might change it up by like sitting down or kneeling, but nothing crazy, nothing really crazy out of the ordinary. Just your typical stuff. This is me building a relationship with my bow. Um, and then after that first couple of months, then honestly, I don't shoot at paper. I don't shoot at a target per se. I only shoot at like a 3D type. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's because I don't want to have to rely on my brain looking at a spot for me to hold steady because there's no spot on a deer. There's no, I mean, yeah, you might be able to find a tuft of hair or whatever. And the, I mean, you should be doing that. You should be looking for those things like, oh, okay, I see that, you know, one spot behind his shoulder right there that. And looking for the pocket right exactly but there's no there's no red dot there's no white dot you know no black dot (laughs) on the animal so you know you want to get away from that you want to start training your body to start looking at 
the animal's anatomy, you know, the, the, the physical form. Um, and again, so for like another month or so now I'm, I'm I started switching to the 3d, um, I'm still building a relationship with my bow. I'm still standing up or sitting down or kneeling, nothing too crazy. Um, then I, I, that's when I start adding in, you know, by, by time may comes around now I'm shooting steep angles. Um, Mm -hmm. And not just shooting downhill and uphill. I'm talking about shooting downhill. Um, one of the videos I did was actually me. Uh, one of the videos on YouTube is me in Utah a couple of years back. It might have been last year, actually. It was either last year or the year before. Anyway, um, I put the target on a downhill slope, but I was also on. So when I was drawing, I, I had a slope to contend with also. And what people don't realize is you feel like you're holding your bow straight up and down, but it's not. Uh, and if you're not good at looking at your uh, uh, bubble or anything like that, or if your third axis isn't set properly and whatnot, you're going to have problems. Um, so I, I've learned to train my body to feel that where I'm at, you know, and I do that because I, what I do is I, I, I draw into the, into the slope of the, of whatever I'm shooting and then slowly bring it up to straight. Mm -hmm. That's kind of hard for me, for people to visualize me talking about that. So it might check out that video. I'll put all these videos that I've done in the past and in the show notes. Um, but, um, and, after a while, your body will really start to feel. You'll know, like this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel like I'm holding the bow straight. Even the bubbles telling me I'm straight, or or whatever. And um, you know, if your if your bow is tuned properly and you have your third axis set and all that stuff, yes, def, absolutely trust the bubble. Don't don't trust your body. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, a lot of times you you get in if you've trained yourself. When you go to make the shot, you look down at your bubble. You're already in that position. Is what I'm getting at. Um, and and those extra couple of moments, those extra couple of seconds, uh, a lot of times it makes the difference. Mm-hmm. What would you recommend to somebody who's going to try and do this at home? You know, at home, <laughs> it's hard to do it at home. Um, I'd say if you got any kind of mountains or, you know, hills anywhere near by your house, just get out to the hills, man, and shoot, get on top of a hill, put your, uh, it's good exercise too, going back up and up and down, you know, to get your arrows and whatnot. Um, but just set up a 3d target, or even if you want to start with a, a, um, you know, a block target of some sort or whatever, um, you could do it like that as well. Just, Put it in a situation that feels like what you might encounter hunting. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, a lot of times, I'll, I'll I'll make my shooting position from a behind a you know a, a pile of boulders because I know a lot of times when I'm stalking, I'm going to use rocks in my favor to mask my you know uh, my approach and. So I'm going to have to learn how to shoot over or around uh, or up against boulders. I'm going to, or you know, I'm going to be on 
really uneven ground where I got one one leg up high, one leg down low. Um, so it's important for you to to practice those things and just kind of keep running your body through um, all these situations because mm-hmm. I mean. I can't tell you again. Going back to my buddy, I can't tell you how many times I see it, um, where a guy that can just shoot lights out, hammering it, yeah, and 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 then you know whiffing it. And when it comes to when it comes to a, an animal, and it's not o- only because of the excitement of the or the you know buck fever or whatever you want to call it. Um, a lot of it comes down to his body never felt that position before he's it's you're almost worse off when you train so much you know and you're so good at shooting at flat flat ground and a target because your body's so trained to be in that that your muscle memory actually pulls your pulls your geometry out of whack to because you, you don't feel like you're in the right position um you know one of the things that i learned and i'm I'm sure most people do this. Well, at least I hope they do. But uh, I, 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 well, let me talk about my bow for a second. So I shoot a kisser button. A lot of people frown about that, but I shoot a kisser button because I want to be as automatic as possible. I want, I don't want to think about anything. So I have a kisser button. I know I'm going to, I know my contact points. And if I keep my contact points the same, and when I, when I aim at the animal that I'm shooting at and I take my peep sight and I make my peep sight line up exactly with the scope on my, on my sight, I'm going to have, no matter what contorted position my body is, I know that bow is going to shoot the way I want it to. The arrow is going to go where I want it to go. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, you know... Um, Along with your practice, it, it, you got to practice correctly too. Like you got to look at look at your setup, and your shot process has to become automatic, and it well, should repeatable in any situation. And something kind of that you talked about too is you have a seven pin sight, right? Yep. Which each pin is set in at a different yardage. So yeah. I'm assuming that you probably have a range finder that shows angle compensation. You know, so you'll look at a downhill shot that's 56 yards, but your range finder is going to tell you that, you know, it's 51 yards. And for you, you don't have a wheel to adjust to 51 yards, you know. So if you're shooting downhill or uphill, what are you doing in order to adjust for the angle compensation with a fixed pin sight? Well... Um, you know, so I pin gap and Mm I, I, uh, rule of thumb for me, if it's three yards over a pin, I use the pin that's below it. Like, so if it's my, if it's 53 yards, I use a 50 yard pin. Mm -hmm. If it's 54 yards and up, uh, you know, 54 yards to 57 yards, let's say, Mm -hmm. um, I use, I split the pins. And then if it's 57 yards, 58 yards, 59 yards, I'm going to go to the 60-yard pin. Uh-huh. And that's it. You know, and see, when you're talking about – when you target shoot, it's a, it's a game of 
a game of inches, you know, when, when you're shooting at an animal, um, or I should say it's a game of centimeters. And when you're shooting an animal, it's a game of inches. It's, um, you're not trying to hit a, a one inch circle. I mean, you want to be able to hit a one inch circle when you're practicing, but you're not just the vitals when you're in the field. You want to hit a 10 inch circle, you know, you're looking at a pie plate. And so as long as I know that my arrow is going to hit within that that sweet spot, and I don't don't make it sound. I'm not trying to make it sound like I'm, I you know, hey, uh, you know, I can I can shoot a 12, 10 inch group and and be able to go kill an animal. But what I'm getting at is one yard, one way or another, is going to make an inch difference on my impact, and in the grand scheme of things, as long as I'm aiming in the right spot, one inch up or one inch down is not going to make or break me. That's still vital. Right. Yeah. So, and that's how I do it. Basically. Uh, if I'm going uphill, if I'm shooting uphill, even though they say, or, or the, the math says that the yardage is shorter and yada, yada, yada. Aim low, aim low. I, well, yeah, I, I actually, I tend to, so if I'm shooting 50, let's say, okay, I'll use the same terminal, uh, same thing. Like if it comes back 53 yards, I'm going to split the pins and shoot it for 55 mm-hmm. uphill. Uh, just for some reason, I don't know what it is. If it's sight picture or what I tend to hit, I tend to make a better shot if I'm doing that. Um, or I don't know if it's cause you're working against gravity, um, shooting uphill i mean you're always working against gravity but uh more direct vector so to speak. Yeah, working gravity. with the arc of the arrow yeah uh where where when you're shooting downhill the arrow is uh not losing as much speed um as it travels because it's it's actually picks up speed on, on the downhill so um yeah it's just coming, becoming very familiar with your bow, and this is part of the process. If you're not familiar with your bow and what it's going to do in different situations and how your body's going to react in these different situations, you're going to have more failures than not, and that's part of all this process. This is this is a side effect of all <laughs> the training things that I'm ta- you know talking about is 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 learning how and and you know and what and why your bow does this in this situation so when you so with a seven pin fixed sight what yardages do you prefer to set it out to do you have a 20 and a 25 or a 20 and a 30 and a 50 yeah it goes 20 30 40 50 60 70 and 80 so everything's in 10 yard increments yes um i used to and i if I'm going to do a lot of uh, tree stand hunting, I will have a 15 yard pin as my first pin, and a th- and 30 will be my second. And the reason why uh, I do that is because for some reason, when tree stand hunting, uh, you always get these like super close shots, and uh, a 15 yard yard pin, it, when you're shooting it at 20 only drops like an inch and a half or whatever in, in on, at least on my bow um, at the speeds that I shoot. So, uh, but it makes a big difference when you got a, a, a deer at, you know, 
eight yards underneath the stand, you know, you can make, you can make that shot holding the pin on as, as opposed to uh, compensating, which I don't like to do. So I've, right. I've, I've shot over too many deer that way, but still. So what do you think are some of the benefits to learning how to shoot, you know, kneeling down or sitting down Indian style or. Well, I mean, benefits wise, it's you're, you're putting yourself in a lifelike situation. Um, you know, if your body's not used to that, I mean, go out, go out there and try it, go out there and shoot it. Your first few shots, you're not going to be as good. You're like, you know, you're not going to be as accurate. Your group is not going to be as close together as it is when you shoot your regular routine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the benefit of it is, is, is to act is acclimating your body. Um, I honestly, I look back at all my hunting and, and, and all the shot opportunities I've had, I would say less than 50% of them or maybe right about 50% of them were standing up in the, you know, in an archer's tee. And I can guarantee you almost 85, 90% of them were not on flat ground, you know? So, you know, think about it like that. I mean, it's, it does it happen. Do you get those times where you got to, you know, you, you come up to a field edge or, um, you know, you come out of the Oaks and you come out into a little pasture and there's a, you know, an elk standing out there or whatever, or deer. And, and yeah, it happens. Sure. Uh, you know, hunting pigs in California, uh, I, I got a pretty flat shot. I was, I was up on a bench, you know, and, uh, and, and my, and my shot was 15 yards at a, at a pig in the grass, you know, so it wasn't, but that doesn't happen often, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just, it just doesn't. <laughs> right. You know, even if you're shooting in a, you know, off a water hole or something like that, where it's a real controlled environment, you're still sitting in a ground blind or you're sitting in a tree stand, which is going to alter your, you know, alter your shot, uh, geometry and i mean little stupid things like so okay for shoot for instance shooting out of a ground blind i can't tell you how many times we had clients that we stuck in a ground blind uh that could shoot really well you know you know we had them shoot at targets or whatever and they shoot really well and you stick them in a ground blind and they hit the blind with their bow when they go to shoot or they didn't realize that their arrow wasn't clearing the window. Um, for instance, my cousin, Paul, okay. My cousin, Paul, who's, you know, he's a, a seasoned hunter, spent a lot of time in the field with me. Um, I put him in a ground blind, uh, for this buck that we called, uh, Nemo freaking awesome, awesome mule deer buck in velvet gets in the blind buck comes in within like, 45 minutes of him being in there to come get a drink of water and he's sitting in a chair and I told him to sit the chair, you know, uh, on an angle and he drew back and he shot and his cam hit the corner of the chair. The arrow went straight down, bounced off the ground and skimmed the buck across his belly. Oh no. Yeah. So, and this is a guy that hunts a lot and this guy that's, you know, killed his fair share of animals and 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 so on and so forth but 
doesn't ever practice in a ground blind, doesn't ever practice sitting in a chair during his target practice. So well, you, you're not you're not accustomed to like uh, looking for those things. Like I I when I draw back, I almost it's like automatic in the back of my head. If I'm, if there's any kind of obstructions or brush around me, I look like I, I take account of all that. So I know, um, a lot of that came from hunting coyotes with the bow. Uh, mm-hmm. a, lot of, a lot of my practice, I, I, when I started hunting coyotes with the bow, it was mainly because I wanted to be a better archer archer. Yeah. And a lot of things came out of that, man. I, I mean, my ability to pick up target very quickly, make quick shots, guesstimate yardages very fast, uh, look for obstructions, you know, as well as, you know, your woodsmanship, playing the wind and learning all that other stuff. Yeah. That, you know, again, all side effect of, of the work that I put in on, in the off season. Well, it also goes to, actual time in the field behind your archery equipment, you know, advancing on animals instead of just advancing on targets. Cause you know, like here in California, we can hunt pigs 365 days a year. So one of the biggest benefits that everybody as a hunter in the state of California has is that we can hone our skills in on hunting pigs and hunting other animals while we're outside of deer season and how imperative that is to when it's actually deer season and you're in the shot and you're in the moment and how you can proceed at a, as a hunter. Yeah, no, that's huge, man. Um, and, and that's why I hunt coyotes cause they're 365 days a year here. But, um, if I had, if I had pigs, believe me to hunt, I would, <laughs> I would go and hunt them. Uh, my only draw, the only drawback I think to hunting pigs, um, and I, and I, I found this with hunting javelinas too. You get a little too cocky because you can get away with a little bit more movement and you can get away with, uh, cause their eyesight's not as good. You yeah. Know? Their eyesight's terrible. <laughs> right. So you, you can get away with stuff that you would never get away with with a deer. You know what I'm saying? So, um, it does give you a little bit of, uh, false sense of hope in certain, in certain aspects. So I try not to, uh, if I had that, I, I think I would try not to rely on that too, too much, but yeah, learning the wind and, uh, you know, dealing with controlling your, uh, buck fever, all that stuff. And, and, and also making lifelike shots. Cause you know, they're, they're, they're up in the Hills. They're up on the, on the same hillsides that the deer are in, in, in Cali, you know? Yeah. And so the, the, the mechanics are all going to be there. Um, the, just the actual stalk, I think might throw some people for. A loop if you're constantly hunting pigs and then you go and try to hunt a blacktail and and you're wondering why he's running away after you right know, well, 500 pigs, away from him <laughs> right well pigs are also so loud that you can kind of mask your movement sounds by the sounds that they're making yeah yeah no for sure that's the same thing with javelina too i mean they're uh i think javelina are a little bit more skittish than than the wild pigs that i've hunted um but that's because they got more shit trying to kill them here uh, but it's still i mean i mean I, I don't have a problem getting into recurve range with a with a javelina or a pig where with a 
you know, a deer, <laughs> my, nor- my normal shot is 60 to 70 yards <laughs> because I'm, uh-huh. I'm, about as, I'm about as quiet as a woolly mammoth coming through. The- <laughs> but um, anyway, um, yeah, so, you know, another thing that I like to do is, is I like to go out and shoot on windy days. Like right now, it's our monsoon season here in Arizona. And I've been going out every time I have, I have the time to do it. And I, every time I see a, a monsoon coming in, in the middle of the, you know, the afternoon, I could tell the monsoon is going to be there. I get out there that evening, right in the monsoon and I shoot. And we're talking, you know, 20, 30 mile an hour gusts and it's very erratic. And, um, you, you shoot enough in that and you learn how your bow and how your arrow flight reacts in wind. You could still be very effective. I just put in up windy conditions. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, you know, Charles and I, he just started hunting with me last year in South Dakota. But I could tell, you know, how excited he was. It's going to be a, th- a thing. I've been hunting South Dakota now for probably fourteen, fifteen years straight. Um, it's super windy there. Wyoming, super windy. Uh, if it's not blowing twenty, it's blowing you know thirty. It, it, that's just the way it is. Uh, big, wide open spaces. Uh, very easy for wind gusts to come flying across. <laughs> um, and you know, so back in the day, I started doing this because of that. Like I remember the very, very first time I went antelope hunting um, it was like 2004, I believe. And man, I was like, oh, I, I shot a crap ton of arrows that on <laughs> that trip. I missed probably. I want to say six, seven times maybe before I actually connected. That's oh, pretty, wow. That's pretty shitty, you know. And I wasn't used to that, man. I'm like, I, I think I was a better shot then than I am now. But what I wasn't is I didn't have the the training because I never. I mean, it was a windy day out here in Arizona. I didn't shoot. I didn't want to lose arrows, you know. Like, I didn't. I didn't want to do that. So. <laughs> After that, I vowed. I was like, you know what? I'm going to learn how to freaking shoot in the wind, and I'm going to make sure my arrow is my arrow setup is is such that it and broadhead setup is such that it bucks the wind. You know that it that it does it's as little affected by the wind as possible. Um, so my setup now is that I I, I the other night I I think I just put it was it like a week ago I think I put this up. Well, it's on YouTube, and I put it on. Uh, on Instagram as well, but I went out and shot during the monsoon. I shot at 60 yards and I shot at 70 yards, uh, in the video. And, and unfortunately in the video, I don't really go over what, what it is that I'm doing. Um, really, I only kind of talk about that. I am doing it and that you should, uh, be doing it. You should be doing it. You know, it was more like, uh, do this. Uh, but, now, now that I think about it, I didn't really talk about it very much. Um, so when I'm shooting in the wind, I've learned to time, you know, you get a certain rhythm. You feel the wind blowing your bow back and forth. So you exaggerate that movement and you start, you know, creating like a figure eight with your bow, with a pin on what you're trying to shoot. And then eventually, once you get in that rhythm, when once the pin comes to where it's where it needs to to be where it's about to settle, 
because there's no there's no way you're going to muscle it in place. It's not going to happen. You're not stronger than the wind. The wind is going to move your arm, especially when it's out extended over here with a you know five six pound bow in front of you. It's going to move. So it's controlling the movement. You be in control of the movement. Don't don't let the wind be in control of the movement. And then timing your shot. Um, you know, some people call that bad form. Uh, you know, I can't tell you how many times people like, oh, you're going to, you know, create yourself target panic. I mean, I tell people all the time, I'm like, listen, hunting is target panic. The entire time. The entire, exactly. I mean, you, you draw back on an animal. It's a panicked situation. You're, you know, I don't care how, you know, if you got ice going through your veins or whatever, it, it's still a still panic in there, whether or not yeah. you're panicking literally or you're in the middle of the shot and everything's ready. And then that deer's about to take off and you see that leg twitch or lift up just a half inch. You know, there's always, in my opinion, and in my experience, there's always a little bit of panic there, no matter how good my breathing is and Absolutely. how centered I am on the shot. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, my, my, you know, my thing is, is put yourself in those panic situations, learn how to control the panic. I can shoot just as well holding for, and so here's the thing. I do both. Uh, I do very long hold type stuff. Um, and, and I do very quick shooting, you know, very fast. Just basically as soon as the boat comes back to full draw, I'm letting it go, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and if you be, are very well rounded with that target panic doesn't exist it's just it's shooting oh I, my body knows that i you know i i'm it's comfortable there's muscle memory there it knows that i'm in facing this put in this position before i can make that shot and so with the wind you know i i've learned like i said to time my bow and you know i'm a finger puncher so i you know, I'm a trigger puncher and I, I know when I squeeze off my trigger at this point in the, in the movement, it's going to go where I, I want it to go. And my mm-hmm. arrow isn't that affected by the wind. And if you look at that video at 60 yards, all my arrows are touching. I mean, some people don't, can't shoot that. I sound like a conceited fuck right now, but people can't shoot that standing perfectly with, you know, and I don't, it's Great not condition. Every single time that happened to be a very, very good round for me. And then I went back to 70 and my, yeah, my, my, uh, my, uh, group opened up. It actually got even a little worse outside too, on top of it. But my group opened up at 70 yards from touching to about four and a half, five inches, which is still all. Now I didn't go to 80 yards because I could already tell at 70 yards that at 80 yards, I was going to be way off. Yeah. So. And that's a part of it too. It's knowing your limits. If you practice a bunch, you know what you can make. I know that if I'm faced with that kind of wind, I'm not going to try to take an 80-yard shot. I'm going to try to get to 70 or better yet, 60 to make that shot. Mm-hmm. But I know when I get to 60, I'll be damned if he doesn't give me a good opportunity, I'm going to make that shot. You know? Well, and that, and that goes into exactly everything that we're talking about is training in the proper conditions training in the elements if it's raining if it's windy whatever's happening when you spend time 
and putting in the work and the effort to perfect those skills or just get better at them when it counts in the shot, you're going to have so much more confidence in holding your shot and waiting for the right opportunity and playing the wind. And it's all going to come second nature. There's not going to be a second guessing. There's not going to be a, Oh, did the wind gust stop? You know, it's all second nature because you've trained for it. Right. Exactly. And that's the point. It's, it's, it's so that it becomes mindless and you can, you can just go through the motions and it, and it, and it's going to happen. Um, you know, you're, I just said going through the motions. This always made me think of this. So <laughs> one of the things that I, one of, one of the things that I, I like to do uh, now I don't have to, I don't do this anymore, but for years I would count my steps. I would say to myself, okay, open my front hand, my grip hand, as I'm drawing back, find my anchor points, feel the kisser, feel the string on my nose where it belongs, center my, you know, center the, uh, the peep on the scope and you keep doing things the same way over and over again. You condition your body. Now I don't say that stuff to myself. I just do it. It automatically comes to me. Um, and like you'll see, and in, in, uh, if you go check out some of these videos, one of the one of the videos I do, uh, you see me facing the opposite direction, loading an arrow, turning, drawing back, and shooting, and like. Again, that might be a situation where somebody would would think that that's going to cause target panic, but because, like I said, I do the complete opposite at times. Where when I'm training for elk, let's say, um, I'll draw back and I'll hold for a minute, and then uh, and then I'll shoot. Or one of the things I like to do is tracking. Um, so, like you know, a lot of times when you're hunting elk, if you think about the situation. You're either kneeling or you're sitting next to a tree and, you know, you call the bull in and he stops behind a tree. You get the full draw and he stands there behind the tree and he's standing there and he's standing there and he's standing there. And then, I don't know, maybe you got a buddy behind you call and your buddy, you know, gives out another cow chirp or something. And that, that bull starts taking a few steps and it starts walking from left to right. And now, you know, you're following this elk through the trees and waiting for him to step into an opening where you can stop him and shoot. Um, so that's something I practice. I'll put four targets down, you know, down the uh, down the range, and I'll stick, you know, one target at forty yards, one at fifty, one at twenty, one at thirty, let's say, and I'll draw back to the target that is furthest to the left, and I'll hold for a minute, minute and thirty. And then I'll start moving my bow across from left to right. And then I get to a target. I'll make a, I'll make an elk I'll make an elk sound. So this is important too. Like one of the things that you don't know that alters your shot is like you grunting or you uh, you know making a cow chirp or a nervous grunt for a a bull or whatever to get them to stop. That little thing actually because it's a another. Uh, activity kind of alters your shot progression. So 
if you don't practice those things, you may not make a very good shot if you haven't practiced it before. Mm-hmm. So I'm that jerk off in the freaking, <laughs> you know, at the archery club that got a got a cow elk diaphragm in his mouth and he's barking at the at the uh, you know the the four by four square down <laughs> at the end of the uh, the the range. But those are things that I do, like yeah. you know, and. You know, this is the way I look at it. There's so many variables that you cannot control in hunting. And I want to be able to control every possible one that I that I possibly can. You know, it's like yeah. anything that I could possibly control, I will I will do my damnedest to control it. That's I mean, that goes from anything from scent control to to, you know, uh, all the stuff we're talking about shot, you know, that's one of the things, you, you, how hard do you work to get to a spot to have a shot opportunity? There's nothing worse than blowing a shot. Like I'd rather get busted stalking in and not get a shot than get a shot and, and blow the shot. Cause that always hurts so much more. Yeah. My, so that's, uh, that's my that's my two cents on it. <laughs> right. Well, and so do you think, because you were talking about like when an elk comes out mm-hmm. um, and having to hold full draw, how much benefit do you think comes out of when you're actually shooting and, and training preseason to doing those long hold shots? Well, I mean, if you're holding for a minute – or or more your your body is getting tired okay mm-hmm. your eyes are getting tired especially so let me let me back up a little bit one of the things i do when i'm doing these long holds and when i'm hunting uh i do this a lot with the coyotes and i do this a, a lot with uh for elk hunting is i will draw my bow back but i won't get into the into the peep sight until i know it's right about that time where i'm going to shoot so yeah. I, I look with both eyes open and not through the hole. And I just aim the, I aim the bow in the direction of the animal. And then when I know that the shot's going to be coming to present, I, that's when I get into my, um, I get into the peep and I, and I, and I, I get sighted in. And the reason for that is when you are sighted in, when you got one eye closed or whatever, and you're, and you're looking at the, you're micro adjusting, you're not using, you're using the, proprioceptive muscles as opposed to your big macro muscles that are just holding the bow in place and you get tired or way quicker and you tend to make less accurate shots. Now, if you were just full draw and you're just kind of like, you know, out here and then you get into it, you, you seem, you tend to make, um, a more accurate shot if you are actually physically sighted in a shorter amount of time, even though mm-hmm. you're even though you're holding back for the same amount of time, you're not focusing that energy through your peep on your sight, waiting. Right. You're being exactly. you're being able to reserve that energy. Yeah, if you think of like like a rifle scope, okay, um, when you're looking through a rifle scope, you can see, you know, the the crosshairs moving back and forth, right? And you're you're trying to hold those crosshairs steady. Um, it. It's it's magnified, so you're really not moving that much, but you're trying to you're trying to slow down that little bit of movement that you see. 
And it's the same, the same thing goes for with the, you know, when you're looking for your peep site, you're very focused on a, on a very specific, you know, little dot at the end of your, of your pin and, and you're focused on a site on, on the animal and you're trying to hold it in place when you really don't need to be because that's not the shot you're going to be making. Um, and it just, it, it fatigues you faster. Um, going back to your question. So the benefits are one, you're, you're building your strength up to do that. Um, when you're practicing, you know, holding, uh, anybody could tell you, you could do as many rows as you want in the, in the gym. Um, I've handed my bow to guys that are meatheads that, you know, have a hard time drawing it back. And I draw, I draw my bow back. Like it's, you know, a 20 pound bow, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I know how to draw it back. And I know how, you know, I know the, I know the mechanics of it. My body knows that bow, you know, it knows the draw cycle it knows where the hangups are and so on and so forth. Um, so you, you practicing these long holds and all that stuff gives your, you know, it gives you the uh, sport specific training that your body needs to, to, to build the endurance. to hold well, that. And something too, that I think is so funny is how people think like, Oh, they can bench press this or, Oh, they can lift that, which means that they should go get a, you know, a 70 or an 80 pound bow or whatever. And yeah. really the muscles that we use during archery are so different and so foreign from what we use on a normal basis or just an average lifting day at the gym that like you have to target those specific muscles. And, you know, in my opinion, the best way to do it is just shooting your bow. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Any, any, uh, sports specific trainer will tell you that, you know, uh, you need, weightlifting, you resistance training, you need aerobics, you need all this stuff to become better at your sport, but there's no better training than doing your sport. So you don't like go play soccer to be better at football. You know, you don't, you don't, uh, I mean, yeah, if you did play soccer, you're going to probably have more endurance and that's going to help you with football, but it's not going to make you necessarily a better football player skills wise. And so that's why when you're, when you're bow hunting, uh, yes, being able to, you know, bench 360 and, you know, squat 500 or whatever is, is going to help you out in the field to an extent, but you, you definitely need to, um, you know, practice the sport itself. And, and that's a lot of the things that we're talking about today. Yeah. So. so do you think there's a difference that you see for yourself training for elk hunting versus training for deer hunting, or is it kind of all the same encompassed or is there uh, things that you'd prefer to do more for one direction or the other? Well, yeah. Like, so what, what we just talked about for elk hunting, that, I, that's a, seems to be a very elk specific um, training regimen for me because don't really often get that where uh, a buck will come into you and yeah, you know it, it's it's good for coyote hunting because I'm calling you know anything that you're calling into you that's a lot that you're going to be faced with that type of situation often where you're stalking in and 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 you know uh, 
sliding in on your butt and, and trying to get into a position. That's more of a deer situation. So you got to practice those things as well. Um, you know, so I, I talked about that video that I did in Utah, uh, last season or the season before, I can't remember, but, um, I, uh, like the day before that, I literally had to slide in the mud for like 200 yards to get to this, um, like willow patch to try to, to try to get to this buck that I was going to shoot. And I, I didn't end up taking the shot because he was at like 96 yards and there was no, I literally was no cover between him and I, I could get to that. I was just kind of hoping he would feed in my direction and he never did. But, uh, you know, I, I got, when I got to that spot in the, in the position, I was laying on my back and I knew I was going to have to draw laying down and, and slowly pop up using my, my ab muscles to make that shot. And it's actually one of the, that's like one of the things that made me, uh, I don't want to use the word famous, but kind of put me on the map uh, was back in the day, early, like 2000. Oh, it was, I think it was that 2004 uh, that the, when I finally made the shot on the antelope on that hunt that I was telling you about where I missed six times, I figured out that the only way I can get close enough to make these shots was to scoot on my back you know, like shimmy with my bow on my belly and get into a position, draw back laying down and then pop up and make the shot. And that became something that I practiced thereafter. Um, I think, I think I have a video of that as well. Um, yes, I do. So it, it was part of my show intro for a long time. You see me popping up out of the grass and, and shooting. Um, it was, um, so th that's like one of the things I've, I've trained, especially for antelope now, because I know that I'm going to have to make that concealed draw behind a, you know, 18 inch, um, sagebrush. And that's the only cover I have. So I have to be able to stay low and stay under 18 inches and be able to draw under 18 inches because once I pop up and they're looking at me, if I make any kind of crazy mo uh, motion, like drawing back, they're going to run, but they might look at me and sit there and look at me for a second long enough for me to get the shot off. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, some of the things cross over like you asked, uh, but I do think about the situations that I've been in, uh, in hunting and I try to apply them into my training. Right now, if you've never been in those situations before like if you're you know it's your first time going to go elk hunting or your first time going to go antelope hunting or whatever just think about the terrain think about you know picture yourself stalking in or picture yourself calling an elk in and whatever and think about how that's going to work watch some videos you know there's so many so much crap on youtube like where you, where you could watch an elk hunt where elk would come in and you'll see what this elk is doing and think about how could i be more effective what can I do in my training to mimic that? And, you know, cause you, like I said, you work so hard to create opportunities and the last thing you want to do is blow it. Yeah. How painful is that when that happens? Oh, it sucks, man. Horribly. <laughs> I I've, you know, we've all done it. Yeah. If, if, if anybody says they had, they're fucking lying. You know? Yeah, man. And it's, the more time and more experience you spend in the field, you realize, or I realize, I should say, I realize that I have way more failures than successes as far as contact on an animal. Oh, yeah. We all do. 
Yep. And then we go back over it in our head. Oh, I could have done this better. I should have done that. I should have held longer, you know, and chalk it up to experience and growth as an archer, but gives you a, a good goal and a good ground on different things to try while training. Yeah, for sure. And that's just, you said it. I mean, uh, you, you got to be able to rely on your experiences and, and look back on them and, and grow. And the only way to do that is to not make the same mistake. Yeah. So, you know, and you, and you know, sometimes you're going to make the same mistakes because just, uh, you know, it's something that you can't control like the wind or whatever. But when it comes to shooting, you really want to try to, uh, maximize your your training efforts so that you're not going to whiff it you know 100% well that and also something else that can be done is find an animal find something that you can hunt 365 days a year if you really want to spend time outside of the range becoming more proficient you know because then you kind of have to start anticipating the movement of the animal and having a better understanding of what's going to happen while you're in the field. Yep. Absolutely. You know, it's like what you do with coyotes or what I'll do with pigs. Yeah. I mean that honestly, once I figured out the whole bow hunting coyote thing, it, it was a game changer for me. My success rate went like through the roof for yeah. other game than coyotes. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Right. You know, I, there was, so many times where I created opportunities where they just, you know, it fell apart. I mean, it still happens. It still happens to me. Uh, you know. Of course, man. We're human. We're fallible. We fuck shit up all the time. Excuse my language, but. Yeah. Yeah. Notice I curse like a sailor. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. So, but again, it just goes back to saying the same thing over and over again. It's like a beating a dead horse. You just, you got to maximize and try to control what you can. Yeah. So we talked about running, run and shoots and, and kind of, you know, what you were saying, you run 50 yards to the target, run back, take a shot or, you know, do a physically demanding exercise and then take a shot, fatiguing yourself and then taking a shot. Is there anything else that you're doing outside of archery training to kind of keep yourself in tune with nature and with the outdoors for when you will be in the field? Um, I gear a lot of my training training towards that as well. Like my, my resistance training, I do a lot of balance work. Um, I try to keep my workouts high intensity. You know, I, you know, if this was me, we were talking to me like 20 years ago, you know, I was gearing my workouts to pick up chicks on the beach, but <laughs> you know, at the pool or whatever. But I now my my workouts are more geared to keeping myself uh, where my body's not going to fall apart on me and in the uh, field <laughs> or just in life but, <laughs> for sure. You know, keep my wife happy so she doesn't run off with the with the uh, the gardener. And uh, but mainly it's, it's, it's focused towards, um, my sport, you know, and that's hunting. And yeah. I, I, I do a lot of things that I know I work on a lot of areas that I know that get worked when I'm in 
the field. Like I do a lot of core work, a lot of balance stuff, a lot of proprioception, which is, um, look it up. Basically it's, it's basically your, your little, little intrinsic muscles, all the little muscles that, uh, stabilize and so on and so forth. Um, and, and that's going to make you a better shot also, you know, when you, you work those things, um, I do a lot of, uh, PNF type stuff, uh, again, works balance type muscles, but, um, and then I, I try to do a lot of endurance type stuff, you know, stuff that is making, is taxing my body. And I never, I never take one body part. So uh, I shouldn't say never, but almost never take one body part and bring it to exhaustion and then do the next body part every once in a while i'll go like one month or somewhere i'm like uh, i kind of want to go into like a more bodybuilding mode mm -hmm. but, um, for the most part my my workouts are total body workouts um you know i posted and i posted enough of them up there you guys want to go and look on my blog there's some like but uh well as hunters that's in my opinion that's what we need the most is we need total body workouts you know right. i mean we need to be and I don't want to say we need to be in peak physical condition because right now, by no means am I in anywhere near my peak physical condition, you know, but maintaining that level of, okay, I can get in there, I can do what I need to do, and I can survive doing it, and it's not going to kill me, and it's not going to murder me, exactly. makes such a difference. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's um, it's important. And, and honestly, every year season rolls around um and i always think to myself man i i'm not as prepared as i should be <laughs> you know the the because here's the thing i i mean yes i have mountains in my backyard basically yeah um you know if i wanted to i live at 1500 the mountains behind me go up to about four thousand feet so i can i can climb if i wanted to um and um but I don't do it because I live in Arizona and by the time, you know, May 1st rolls around, it's just fucking too damn hot. And it's too much of a commitment time-wise for me to say, hey, I'm going to go for a hike this morning, a three-hour hike that's going to, you know, help me with my hunting. So I do a lot of stairwells. Um, I do a lot of, uh, you know, stuff like that that... It's going to help me help my muscles, but it's still not the same because you're not, you know, you're doing stairs. It's, it's flat ground, so to speak. It's uh, or even ground, I should say. Uh, you're not stepping on, you know, rocks and your ankles aren't twisting back and forth and you're not, you know, on unstable position. But I, I try to do things like when I go up, I go up fast. I go up slow. I go up stepping, skipping steps. I go up every step. Uh, I go up bounding sometimes and, and same thing going down. I change it up. I come down sideways. I come down really slow. Like I'm stalking an animal. I try to, and I wear my boots. So I try not see if I can control my movement where I'm not making that, that stomping clunky noise when I'm coming down. Uh, just stuff like that. Is it a hundred percent like hunting? No. But I can go and do that for 45 minutes, and it's not a, like I think I said, a three-hour commitment to climb up to, to the top of the mountain, uh, and I could do it more frequently. And then once it starts getting really hot here, you know, I could do the same thing on a step mill inside the gym if I had to. 
mm-hmm. or, or just go, you know, go super early and, and brave the heat and mugginess and just not have the sun beating on you and do it. Uh, and I feel like that, you know, working out here in the, in the summertime outside, um, mimics the same struggle my lungs have when I'm, you know, at a higher elevation than, right. you know, to an extent because I'm, yeah. it's harder to breathe, but yeah. Right on, man. Well, what's your 2019 season looking like? You got to have a couple good hunts coming up. Um, I'm, it, it, I leave uh, in two days for Nevada for a mm-hmm. uh, mule deer tag that I drew. Uh, that's my only quote unquote premium uh, tag. Everything else is pretty much uh, over the counter type stuff. Yeah. Uh, I was supposed to go to California. I did not make it this year. I was there. We were, we were missing you. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, man, July was a rough month for me. I lost my aunt, uh, the the first week of July, and then I two weeks later I lost my my father in law. Um, mm-hmm. Just freaking, just crazy, crazy, crazy. So obviously, I, I canceled uh, canceled that hunt, and um, you know, kind of regrouped here. It's it's kind of thrown me back because I I haven't been training, I haven't been shooting this last two weeks here, leading up to my you know leading up to this hunt here in uh, in Nevada, and uh, it, it's messing with my brain a little bit, you know, emotionally strained. Mm-hmm. Haven't really been in the gym, uh, but um, hopefully all the training I did leading up to now will pay off, and yeah. it'll kick in. Uh, well, that and I would assume, and and I know it is for me, man. It's like getting out into nature and getting out into the outdoors. And when you get to get on that hunt or the whatever hunt it is in yeah. Nevada that's coming up, that reconnection with nature is probably going to help okay. so much. Sorry, that was my my computer. Yeah, uh, that's so good. And um, yeah, no. Uh, so after that, I'll come back. I might spend a couple of days here in Arizona hunting because this season opens uh, like the 21st, I think, or 22nd. I got to look, but it's end of August. Um, I got a couple of cameras out, so I might go sit water. I don't know. I don't really mm-hmm. like the spot and stalk this time of year. It's just too many snakes. Um, <laughs> Nobody wants to hunt but snakes. Yeah, no, it's pretty, pretty miserable. Um, and then I have, I have a, client for uh elk which i'm not quite sure that i'm going to be guiding yet i might have one of my guys do because i have my own elk hunt in oregon um that i think is kind of right around the same time frame so um i didn't want to stay with him and then leave him and then you know move over to somebody else um anyway so yeah, I got an Oregon hunt, and then from Oregon, let's see, it's September, beginning of October, I'm going to New York with the family, so I will hunt some whitetail there, and then uh, I have a couple rifle hunters late October here, and then early, oh, and then my daughter has a rifle hunt here also um, in, in October, the end of October, and then... From there, Charles and I are going to go to uh, hunt mule deer in South Dakota. Then after South Dakota, I will be hunting deer here in Arizona if I didn't get one in the early season, which I doubt since I've only spent a couple days. And then 
pretty much January deer here, and I got I'll I'll be full up with clients for for December, January, and and February for javelina and, and deer for archery. That's awesome. Yeah, so it's not as busy as a year normally as I normally have, uh, but uh, I, I got some good hunts. So I can't can't complain. Good. Yeah. What about you? Um, dude, I just like you, man. I'm leaving tomorrow morning, and uh, I'm gonna go down with. Uh, Kika Worldwide or Kika Guide and Outfitters in Southern California and join them on a Owens Valley Thule elk hunt. And we'll roll straight out of that hunt into the uh, mountains in Southern California. There's three sheep clients coming in, three desert sheep clients and got three, three desert sheep tags to, to take care of. And they'll come out of that and I'll roll into my own archery hunt for a little bit. Um, and then in between that hunt, I'm actually, this is, I'm really excited for this. Metallica is doing another S and M album <laughs> and, uh, they're, they're having a huge concert, got tickets for that. Uh, and then we're doing a interview or I'm doing an interview with the California department of fish and wildlife and, um, developing that relationship a little bit more. We've got an event coming up in September that's going to be really beneficial for the department and the public of California, which is going to be great. Um, yeah. And then I just, you know, I got my Utah tag and my, my Montana tags and hopefully, hopefully whacking and stacking. Sweet. Well, it sounds like fun. Busy. Yeah. It's not, it's nonstop. <laughs> yeah, but they're a single man, so busy is fun. <laughs> yeah, right now busy is fun for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's cool, man. Well, um I think that I think I've said all I needed to say. I don't know if, if anybody has any specific questions about anything that I do. Um I will uh be more than happy to answer those questions. Just hit me up on Instagram or Facebook or something. And then, uh, or my blog is even better because you can write an email. Um, and uh, like I said, I'll put up the uh, videos with the show notes um, with the posts. So, yeah, that's yeah. much it. Right on, John. Well, thanks for having me come on. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. And uh, hopefully I'll get to see you soon. Yeah, for sure. All right, buddy. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Yep. Thanks for tuning in to the show, folks. If you'd like to check us out online, our website is www.theflipflopguide.co. You can find out all the information you need to have your own flip-flop in your own backyard. We encourage this, and we'd love to see this happening in every backyard across America. You can purchase our sauces that have been cranking out flip-flops from my grandfather since the 1960s. If you had trouble filling your tags this year, we also have available on our website, Maui Nui Axis Deer Legs. They're 100% USDA approved and ready for your consumption. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at the flip flop guy. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to smash that subscribe button.